you're traveling through another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A journey into a wondrous show whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the RSS feed up ahead. Your next stop, Anthology. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series, one episode at a time. I also cover modern anthology science fiction shows, such as Black Mirror and uh, the currently airing Jordan Peele Twilight Zone reboot on CBS All Access in bonus episode review series. You can find more more of Anthology as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. Today on the show, I'll be discussing Mr. Dingle the Strong. It's the 19th episode of The Twilight Zone's second season, and it originally aired on March 3rd, 1961. I'll also be going over some listener feedback, and I will actually be rounding out the episode with a brief review of Science Fiction Theater's Season 1, Episode 1 episode, titled Beyond. Um, yeah, that, so, uh, that's something that's gonna happen. Um, I'm gonna try... I mentioned in my last regular episode that I'm going to try to kind of bring back the bonus reviews that I was doing uh, prior to my really long and uh, stupid hiatus. Um, but yeah, my my new idea that I have here that I'm kind of mulling around is uh, basically I'll be coupling these episodes reviewing the original Twilight Zone with just a kind of secondary review of an episode of science fiction theater, which was George McFly's favorite show, um, in back to the future. Um, it aired in, it started airing in 1955, ran through 1957, um, hosted by Truman Bradley. Um, it was a pioneer of the sci-fi anthology television, uh, genre. Um, that and tales of tomorrow were, were the kind of big first ones, the, the precursors to, uh, Outer Limits and the Twilight Zone. So anyway, as I mentioned last time, I do have the complete series on DVD and I have a handy book, uh, from Martin Grahams Jr. Uh, that basically details, uh, a lot of information about it. So I'm going to try to do bonus reviews, kind of go through science fiction theater, kind of as little, bonus reviews to end the episodes. Um, I'm going to kind of do a trial run of that, these last 10 episodes that I'm covering for season two of The Twilight Zone. I'll kind of determine how I feel about it then um, and decide if I'll continue it in season three. But anyway, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I'm thinking in terms of all of this stuff. So uh, yeah, let's get into some listener feedback. Actually, before we do that, if you are just joining me here um, and you're uh, just joining me from, I don't know, maybe discovering the podcasts from uh, the new Twilight Zone episodes or discovering me on Twitter or tweeting about Twilight Zone, I'm not sure. But if you are just joining us here at Anthology, thank you so much. And why are you starting on episode 50, what, two? <laughs> but I um, uh, hope you guys enjoy it and I really appreciate your listenership. So listener feedback, I got a message from longtime listener Monica. Uh, she had some comments about uh, 22, uh, the most, or let's see, is that the most recent episode that I reviewed? Um, no, I think there was an episode after that. Oh, the uh, uh, 
Flight 30, the Odyssey of Flight 33. So a couple episodes ago, I reviewed uh, the episode title 22. And Monica wrote in about it. She said, Hi, Matt. I just listened to your two new episodes. So the OGTZ episode 22 wasn't one of my favorites. For some reason, the film fucks with me the most with this episode than any other TZ episode with that look. But I think if I had seen it in the 60s, it would have been much more powerful. Sometimes it helps to remember how groundbreaking the show was. I think just hearing scary stories as a kid, the story didn't hit me as hard because I'd heard this type of story before. But I really liked how you referenced the Final Destination thing. You are so right. That scene looked very much like a nod to Twilight Zone. Uh, so thank you so much, for Monica, for writing in and sharing your thoughts on that. And that's an interesting kind of... Uh, thought to bring up like uh when you were a kid if you kind of uh um surrounded yourself with scary stories and everything like i used to love reading like goosebumps and scary stories to tell in the dark and all that um it can kind of desensitize you to some of the more subtle uh horror or subtle scary stuff um throughout it but you're right it is it is important to kind of keep a Keep a frame of reference when watching the show and, and uh, keeping a frame of reference for how groundbreaking it was. I've, I've gotten some, uh, some uh, aggressive feedback <laughs> in past episodes when I wasn't uh, giving the show as much credit as I probably should have. So anyway, uh, yeah, so yeah, let's go ahead and get into our review. Today I'm going to be reviewing Mr. Dingle the Strong. As always, I'm going to read a plot description courtesy of Twilight Zone Unlocking the Door to Television Classic by Martin Grahams Jr. And of course, this summary is going to be completely spoiler-filled. It is going to spoil the entire episode of Mr. Dingle the Strong. And uh, going forward, the this episode, this review is going to be covering every facet of the plot. So I'm going to be spoiling Mr. Dingle the Strong, beginning now with the plot description, courtesy of Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic. Luther Dingle, a meek vacuum cleaner salesman, is constantly having to settle disputes between the betters in a neighborhood bar, receiving a few bruises on the jaw for his participation. Classified by a two-headed alien from the planet Mars as a perfect specimen for a test in human strength and durability, the visitors grant Dingle superhuman strength. Now 300 times stronger than the average human being, Dingle finds himself on the other end of the physical abuse and a celebrity, thanks to a local newspaper reporter. Carnival operators and television producers start waiving contracts. When Dingle uses his strength for petty exhibition for a live television broadcast, the aliens return to remove the superhuman strength, so they visit other, pl uh, so they visit other planets to conduct similar experiments. As the Martian takes his exit, two small aliens from the planet Venus arrive and select Mr. Dingle as a test subject, grant him intelligence 500 times more than the average human. So starring in this episode as Luther Dingle is Burgess Meredith, who is making his second of four Twilight Zone appearances. The next we'll see of him is here in a few weeks, uh, or in about a month or so, with the in the season finale, The Obsolete Man. Co-starring as Anthony O'Toole, the bartender, is James Westerfield. This is his only episode of The Twilight Zone, but he was in one episode of science fiction theater called The Strange People at Pecos. Um, who knows, maybe you'll hear me talk about it as someday if I, if I decide to uh, go forward with that uh, plan that I outlined earlier in that really awkward moment. 
Um, so James Westerfield is also known for roles in On the Water Fl- Wa- On the Waterfront and True Grit. Uh, also in this episode as Joseph J. Callahan is Eddie Ryder. This is his only episode of The Twilight Zone. However, he did appear in four of Serling's Playhouse 90 shows. Uh, those shows included Forbidden Area in 1956, A Town Has Turned to Dust in 1958, which I covered in the podcast, uh, The Velvet Alley in 1959, and The Comedian in 1957, which I covered in an earlier episode of the podcast, and which also got uh, Rod Serling an Emmy. And making a special appearance in the Twilight Zone in this episode is Don Rickles as the better. Uh, this was his only episode of the Twilight Zone. However, he did have a quote that was uh, attributed to him in uh, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic. And he said, quote, he said, screw the director. I don't even recall who directed that. The main man I remember was Burgess Meredith. He was one of the greats. I'm telling you, he played his part so well that Rod Serling is probably shaking his hand to this day. That alien thing was stupid, but what the heck? That was the Twilight Zone. You know what I remember about Meredith? In between takes, he was a warm uh, warm fellow who had a great sense of humor. We shot jabs at each other, and he took them as fast as he pitched them. They don't make them like that anymore. They don't make men like him anymore. Um, that's, uh, from the Twilight Zone Unlocking the Door to tel- Television Classic. Uh, and that was a quote from Don Rickles. And rounding out the cast in a small part as Jason Abernathy, the, uh, news, uh, the news person guy, um, is James Milholan. Uh, this is his second of three Twilight Zone episodes. Uh, his first episode was The After Hours in season one. And next, uh, we'll see of him is I Dream of Genie in season four. And he was also in one episode of One Step Beyond called Moment of Hate, which again, One Step Beyond was another, uh, obviously sci-fi anthology show at the time. Uh, it is, uh, like I said last episode, it is available on Amazon Prime, um, in its entirety. So writer for this episode was Rod Serling, and director was John Brom. This is his sixth of 12 Twilight Zone episodes. Last we saw of him was in season one in A Nice Place to Visit, and next is uh, next episode that he will direct in our chronology here is Shadow Play that's coming later this season that I'm actually going to pair with the 1980s uh, remake of that. So that should be a fun episode of the podcast. And John Brahm also directed two episodes of The Outer Limits. So let's go ahead and go into my review. Um, what I knew beforehand was really nothing. Um, like I like I, like I said, um, this uh, whole point of this podcast, I'm going through the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer, um, knew nothing about the episode going in. The only thing I could kind of infer from the title was that it was about a guy who becomes strong. And I kind of thought that it would be similar in style to episodes like One for the Angels or Night of the Meek, where a resident of a neighborhood gains some kind of power and uh, is more of a focal point of a neighborhood or, uh, establishment. I'm not, I wasn't half wrong. Um, he is kind of a, 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 a piece of the, um, atmosphere of the neighborhood bar that Rod Serling mentions right off the bat. It's a uniquely American institution, uh, which I, f- I found that charming, but I don't know. Like they have pubs in England. So, um, I don't, I, 
uh, sure. Um, so we get we get the narration right off the bat, and I, I don't remember the last time Serling did that, like where the opening of the episode opens up and we immediately get narration. I didn't mind it at all. Um, it was a good way to kind of establish the setting and the uh, central characters in the bar. I just thought it was interesting that the episode just kind of kicked off with the narration and not like a scene with the with the characters, especially with like Burgess Meredith uh, being in the show and also Don Rickles as well. Um, I, I'm just kind of surprised that they, they didn't have like a scene that established the characters first before the narration um, because they're both strong uh, actors. So um, <laughs> I like I said, I didn't know anything going into this. So like in my notes, I have Mr. Dingle looks familiar. Um, so I felt kind of stupid when like the end of the episode happened. And I was like, oh, wait, that was Burgess Meredith. So our introduction to Mr. Dingle, though, is that he's as Serling says in the narration, he's a consummate failure in everything he does, but he's a good listener. So he's kind of I don't know. Dingle's kind of a down on his luck. <laughs> kind of simple-minded guy as the Venus aliens were were uh found out later. Um and the aliens give him super strength as an experiment and we'll get to that in a second. I just skipped totally ahead. But anyway, um the episode I, I'll go ahead and say it. I the episode didn't work for me. I I didn't like this episode and I think that might be kind of the consensus with Twilight Zone fans, but like here's here's my main issue and I'll probably talk more in depth about it as I go through this review but Dingle is given super strength as an experiment from these Martians but he doesn't do anything worthwhile with it it all he does is just perform and like he he just performs and he doesn't even do anything that's even good for himself except for like defend himself against the the better guy but or intimidate him Rather, I, I don't know. It just, it it just didn't work for me. It left me wondering, like, what's the point of the episode as a whole or what the overall message was? Like, I don't be a show off, I guess. I I don't know. I just, it just didn't work for me. So anyway, our introduction to Dingle proper is that he's kind of this soft-spoken kind of stuttering kind of oafish kind of guy. Not even oafish. He's just, I don't know. He kind of seems like maybe he's maybe he's like on the autism spectrum a little bit. Maybe that's, I don't know. Cause was that even a medical, like, I, I don't know the history of, uh, autism or anything, but was that even something that was, uh, a thing like, like in the, in 1961, I, I really don't know. I'm going to kind of look that up here. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know if it was really, kind of in the uh, public consciousness or in the medical profession if uh, autism was something that was kind of talked about in the early 60s. But um, that's the kind of impression that I get from uh, Luther Dingle in this episode. And he's, I don't know, he's just kind of, he's reserved. He's not, well, I don't even know if I'd say reserved. It's just, he's a hes a kind of peculiar character. Like uh, Don Rickles goes up to him and he's basically assaulting him verbally <laughs> demanding that he uh that he mediate this argument between the better and the bookie and dingle just kind of has this weird like almost vacant kind of like well in my considered opinion i have this that this and i saw this very a very great match and everything like, and then he gets knocked out by uh don rickles it's 
it's kind of strange. Like, like Burgess Meredith performs the role really well. I, I will give him that. It's a very unique performance and it makes Dingle into a pretty sympathetic character. Um, early on and as the episode progresses you're kind of along with him on this journey even though i couldn't really connect with why the journey was happening or what the message was um i still felt like it was at least an interesting character to watch so the better punches uh dingle and the bartender mentions that like he he gets punched every week by the same guy so don Rickles plays this bully and then the bartender says dingle for once why can't you be neutral and it kind of seems like maybe that's the point like he's just he's he has to take a side or he has to he has to ha- like it's almost as if it's implying that he is someone who takes a strong stance on one way or the other but that's contradictory to how he's performed in the episode because it's not like he's I, he's just saying his opinion. It's, it's weird. So anyway, at this point, this is where the episode, uh, we're still in the opening moments of the episode, but this is where it kind of shifts. And that's when we get our first look at the Martian, uh, aliens, the two headed aliens there that were, I mean, the design was pretty interesting. Um, they're two headed with like these radar dishes and antenna coming out of their heads. Um, it's, it's okay. And like, the the dialogue between them is it's kind of stiff and it's delivered in a pretty robotic way but it seems like that was kind of intentional um but it just didn't i don't know it just didn't really sit well with me that much um yeah i don't know i honestly i'm going to be struggling through this whole review cuz i do not have much of anything to say about this episode it's just kind of lifeless and and it doesn't really it didn't really do anything for me. Um, like the episode itself is pretty lighthearted and and weird, but it just felt just empty and hollow to me. Um, so, so the aliens give Dingle the strength and everything and the better keeps hitting, hitting Dingle also. Um, like, okay. When Don Rickles hits Dingle a second time, I feel like it's supposed to be slapstick, but it's, I don't know. It weirdly enough takes away from Meredith's sympathetic approach to the character because it just turns Dingle into just this punching bag who it's, it's almost like he, it's, it's almost as if the episode is trying to tell us that he doesn't know any better, that he's just, but that doesn't even make sense either. Cause just Don Rickles character is just a complete bully and is, is not, is someone who is just easily overpowering Dingle at every turn. And it's just like, if if the message was that Dingle was um took too strong of a stance on one one hand or the other or if he is too he's too principled or whatever then it's counter it's completely um counteracted by Don Rickles's character's just aggressive nature and it just didn't doesn't really work for me but anyway, so uh, Dingle gets the gets the strength, and he's immediately more confident. He's speaking more clearly. And then when he goes to leave the bar, he takes the door off the hinges. And like that's fine. It's it's a good bit of just uh, it's a good like comedic beat. But Burgess Meredith kind of I don't know. It, like at this point, he kind of livens up a bit, and the character's confu- confusion and boost of confidence is pretty endearing. Like he doesn't know what's happening to him and it yields some pretty entertaining moments um throughout the uh this portion of the episode but again I just I just have to question like what's the point? And I don't and I don't ask that 
in in the sense that oh this ep- every episode of the twilight zone has to have a specific point and tell a specific morality tale like i don't need that really especially in an episode like this that's completely kind of goofy and uh lighthearted as this episode is but i mean i think back like the the closest comparison that i can draw to this episode is season one with mr beavis an episode that i didn't like either all that much but it at least had like a message like mr beavis from what i remember it's been a while since i've seen the episode but i mean he was a character who was just very set in his ways and very uh goofy and off the wall and the whole episode was built around him not fitting in and conforming to people's expectations of him and everything like it's it was a it was a lighthearted episode but it had that kind of um dramatic or or uh that subtext to it that had a story behind it here this is just a guy gets a gets superhuman strength shows off a little bit gets it taken away and has given uh intelligence for a brief time and it's just it's it's weird. Like I said, it's just empty and kind of kind of hollow. So so Dingle goes he's he's not going home. He's going into this neighborhood and these kids kind of hassle him and uh one of the kids yells at him and is like, "Hey, my my parents said that if you uh not to come around here anymore." And so I'm I'm kind of thinking he's just like he's a door-to-door vacuum salesman and he's apparently not very good at his job as we learn later, but it kind of seems like the uh, the thing that I'm inferring from this uh, interaction between the kid and Dingle is that uh, none of the adults on in the neighborhood want him hawking his wares to them in the middle of the day, in the middle of the day, because he's just kind of not a very engaging person or very good at his job. So the kid is like mini Don Rickles as he's just kind of a complete a-hole to Dingle and Dingle uh, like gets possession of the football and throws it. But since he has superhuman strength, it flies uh, well across the uh, street and through the window of uh, of a house. And it busts through a door in, in the uh, room that a man is just sitting in. And like, that's a good, like, again, it's a fun little comedic beat and everything. Um, it's, it's just kind of fun and goofy. And then immediately after that, he gets this, uh, he, there's a taxi that pulls up next to him as he's talking to the kids. And he's just, he's still just not sure what's going on. So he accidentally rips the handle off the taxi door. And then he goes to apologize to, to the driver and puts his hands on, like rests his hands on the hood of the, uh, of the taxi and ends up pushing or lifting it, uh, effortlessly onto its two, uh, uh, to driver side wheels. Um, and like, these are, these are fine. These are, these are fun. Um, the, these are fun little moments and, uh, the quick, uh, the quick succession of the feats of strength make up for the repetition of it. Like otherwise, like it's not in to say there's repetition. There's, is a little, uh, diminutive because there's not much repetition. Uh, he, he, takes the door off the hinges at the bar, he throws the football, he rips the handle off, he he lifts up the taxi. Um all these are just really rapid fire and very quick and um it doesn't get the se- you don't get the sense that it's boring or that it's being repeated or anything. Um 
also the effects of it is uh is really good <laughs> are really good um like the way that like the sound design of him pushing the pushing the taxi and just the visuals of it uh work together really well and so i don't know the taxi scene is cool uh there is there is a repeated scene of a painter on a ladder outside of a house that kind of falls over or falls off of the ladder a couple of times and that that didn't really work that well for me um so yeah so then we get to the next scene where uh, dingle is on a park bench and a woman is right next to him and honestly like in an episode that i don't really care for all that much this was probably the strongest scene for me um in the whole episode so dingle is uh, at the park bench he's next to the woman with the stroller and he asks her just point blank he's like He's asking if there's anything abnormal about him or if he looks he if he looks abnormal and she says no and he starts to confide in her and tells her tells her that he's a terrible salesman and that he only made like 86 cents in commissions last month from a guy who bought an extension uh an extension on the vacuum that he thought would be a divining rod for alcohol like that's like I like the kind of carefree way that he describes his failings as a salesman to her um in the way that he's kind of he's seeing the humor in what is surely to be the end of his career as a salesman um that made him much like that made him even more endearing in my eyes because he has this self-awareness and ability to admit his shortcomings um that we I don't necessarily I wouldn't say that we that we haven't seen before. It's just we haven't had a chance to see that before in this episode. Like he's very uh quiet and um a punching bag in the bar, but here he's actually opening up and he's explaining like, "Oh, he's probably going to get fired," but he's doing it with this carefree attitude. And I think part of that is probably because he has this uh this massive strength that's that's kind of giving him a boost of confidence and the thought that he has something to fall back on in terms of you know he's going to be fine because he can lift up a statue or a bench um but <laughs> and that's where it gets kind of crazy and kind of more into like the okay dingle is dingle is dingle kind of thing is that he asks the woman if she wants to hear the most of his worries and when she says yes he goes ahead and lifts her up over his head on the bench uh, he lifts the bench while she's sitting on it over his head. Um, and in my notes, I put, he's just not good with people. <laughs> um, he's just, it's not like, that's again, that's just a weird thing to do. And it doesn't pay off at all. Like it's not, it's not, I, it's just a bit of comedy in the episode, which is fine, but it's also, it doesn't inform the episode that much except for just getting us kind of a cheap laugh. I, I well, saying cheap is a little, cheap but um it's just it's a it's a laugh without much substance in terms of his character development or the story itself and the point of the story whatever it may be so after that he's just breaking stones in half which is kind of a it's actually a really cool effect um and this newspaper guy photographer guy sees him and he decides he's going to uh, photograph him for the newspaper and at this point i kind of thought that he was going to be made famous and it was going to be that the episode was going to be a retread of Mr. Denton on doomsday from season one. And I'm glad it wasn't, but it was interesting that I thought that because obviously, um, when we get to trivia, we'll talk about how, uh, Mr. Denton on doomsday was also, was almost Mr. Dingle on doomsday. But anyway, um, his confidence grows when the photographer takes his pictures and he's like lifting up the statue and everything. And it's all just, 
it's very triumphant and everything. And then the next morning he breaks the alarm clock and I thought that was a good gag. Like there like there's some really clever effects in this episode that I really enjoyed. And like the clever effects and Burgess Meredith's performance are really what keep Mr. Dingle the Strong from reaching say Mr. Beavis levels of just meh Twilight Zone. Um or I guess the mighty Casey too. So we get to kind of like toward the end of the episode. And again, this is kind of a light and fluffy episode. There's not really much substance to it that I could, that I could find, but at the bar, he's getting offers for TV shows, circuses. He's, uh, being, uh, offered prize fighting competitions and stuff. And so at this point, he starts demonstrating his strength for the news crews and everything. And his confidence is growing. And, and, uh, at that, at that point, we're going to, uh, <laughs> around that point is when the aliens are going to take the power back. But again, I really don't know what to make of this episode. Uh, Dingle's quiet and he's a punching bag. The aliens give him this, this power and he just demonstrates his strength. That's it. Um, my best guess is that Dingle is someone who simply wants to be liked. Um, he cares about what other people think about him and he cares about the feelings of other people to a fault. Like his flaw is that he mostly keeps to himself, but he's kind of, but he's kind um, in the way that he wants to please people, whether it's answering the better's question about a sporting event or demonstrating his strength for like public spectacle. He just wants to please people, I guess. Like that's the most character development that I can glean from, from Mr. Dingle, the character. Um, and I mean, it works like it's fine. Like that's, it's perfectly fine for a lighthearted twilight zone episode. Just none of it resonated with me or left a profound impact on me in, in any big way or even small way. Um, but your mileage may vary. I don't know. Um, so when he loses the strength, that's when he's has this preposterous idea that he's going to raise the entire bar, the like the entire structure and i thought it was goofy that the bartender is just like yeah i've made more money than than uh i have since they've repealed the uh 18th amendment and like he's counting his money and everything he's like yeah go ahead and trash the bar it's fine it just it seemed kind of kind of goofy and weird um but it was interesting because when he loses the strength he goes into this daze and tries to demonstrate his strength again to completely no avail uh, physically harming himself in every single step. Um, I like the way Burgess Meredith plays that. It's, it's kind of fun. Like it's kind of this dazed kind of thing. Like he's, uh, just very slow and, and, but he's still kind of faking that confidence or he's has like the residuals of that confidence when he had his strength. So it's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of fun. But what I thought was interesting, well, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting was that, uh, pretty much when he loses his strength, everyone almost instantly goes back to completely ridiculing him and viewing him as just this kind of dim-witted bar fly guy. I don't even know if I'd say bar fly, but anyway, guy in a bar. Um, and so that's when the Martians run into the Venus aliens who are doing intelligence experiments. And I do want to point out that the aliens from Venus, uh, they're child actors and I... <laughs> The ADR work for the child actors playing the other aliens, it's pretty well done. Like, I didn't really, it didn't really register with me that much, uh, when I first saw it, but like on repeat viewings, I was looking for it. But that first viewing, I was like, yeah, I, I buy it. I buy it that those words are coming out of those, uh, kids' mouths. So, uh, the Martians give, like their recommendation to the Venus aliens that, oh yeah, this, this thing that they call a dingle is a good, uh, 
a good a good candidate for your intelligence test. So the Venus aliens give him superhuman intelligence and the episode kind of ends with Dingle making uh like predicting the home run on the game that's playing in the bar. And <laughs> I like the performance here. Like I really like the choices that Burgess Meredith made when playing that that particular scene where he's uh deducing like the uh the possibilities of what would happen on the next pitch. And he just like comes up to the conclusion that he's going to hit a home run the second that he makes contact with the ball and hits a home run on the TV. Um, I love the way that Burgess Meredith plays that because it's kind of like he's, he's playing it almost like his character is an attorney that's giving his closing arguments in a high profile case. Um, and I, I found that, that, um, I found that moment really charming and, uh, I was actually engaged with the character in that moment. Um, but then the episode ends. Serling says that he's kind of, I don't know if he doesn't necessarily say destined to, to be, um, played with by aliens and everything, but he's just said, he says that, you know, Mr. Dingle is an interesting guy and he's, uh, his newfound super intelligence is probably going to be gone soon also. Um, and that kind of closes out the episode. My problem with the episode is that it's just pretty immaterial. Um, like I said before, with Mr. Beavis, there was something to the underlying message of accepting who you are and being comfortable with yourself and all that. This episode didn't really have anything like that. It was just this guy who's being messed with by aliens. Um, and that's it. Like he doesn't seem to learn anything at all from this experience and he doesn't grow from this experience at all. Like when he's, when his super intelligence runs out, he's just going to be the same exact Mr. Dingle that he was in the opening moments of this episode. And that's, that's, ah, like I said, I don't need like a deep message in my Twilight Zone episodes, but I need some kind of change to happen. I need something to happen that is of substan of a substantial nature uh to somewhat quote um uh death in um one for the angels but of a substantial nature that i need something to something to tell me a story essentially instead of just showing me a bunch of goofy stuff for 25 minutes so i don't know overall didn't really like it that's mr dingle the strong and, uh, yeah, if you liked it, let me know, please. Like, and let me know what you liked about it because I just, I was kind of just really unaffected by it. Um, so yeah, so trivia for this episode is that this was Douglas Spencer's fine, final acting role before his death on October 6th, 1960. Um, at the age of 50, he played one of the Martians, um, in the episode and of course, as I mentioned before, Rod Sterling had previously used the name Mr. Dingle for the main character, um, of Mr. Denton on Doomsday. Um, and finally in this episode, oh, okay. Yeah. So finally, um, in this episode and other recent episodes or upcoming episodes, um, the Twilight Zone gained a new sponsor, which was a cigarette company. And so these, this run of episodes and I, for however long that they were sponsored, I didn't get that information, but, uh, several of the, the majority of characters in the, in these episodes are seen smoking in the, uh, in the episode. So that's mildly interesting. Um, so yeah, so that's Mr. Dingle, the strong, like I said, it just, I don't know. I think I, I liked, I like Burgess Meredith a lot in this episode, but I feel like he is much better utilized in, a 
well, I'll put it this way. I'm excited to see him in an episode like The Obsolete Man because from what I understand, that's a that's an iconic episode of the series. It, it deals with some very heavy um, stuff going on in, and has a lot of subtext to it. So I'm really excited to see Burgess Meredith kind of sink into what I hope is a meaty role in the Twilight Zone. Um, yeah, so that's my review of Mr. Dingle the Strong. Uh, like I said before, I'm going to try this new thing. I am going to round out the episode with my secondary or bonus review of an episode of Science Fiction Theater, which is available in its entirety on YouTube. Link in the show notes. Okay, so to round out the episode, I'm going to be reviewing Science Fiction Theater's uh, premiere episode uh, titled Beyond. It originally aired on April 9th, 1955, and the episode in its entirety is available on YouTube. So I'm not going to spoil this review, and like I said, this is going to be a really quick review um, since I'm not spoiling it or anything. So uh, if you have thoughts on how I should handle these, like let me know. Uh, feel free to let me know. Um, you know how to contact me. So plot description for Beyond is, quote, A new rocket fuel is being developed to power the XF, a jet capable of traveling faster than Mach 2. During a test, a craft moving faster than the XF is encountered and the pilot ejects. His report of the event is questioned. An inquiry follows. So, uh, science fiction theater. Like, my main, like knowledge of it is based entirely on a like two second clip of dialogue from back to the future <laughs> where George McFly tells uh, Calvin slash uh, Marty that he can't go to the enchantment under the sea dance because science fiction theater is on that night and it's his favorite show. So I didn't have any idea really. And I mean, granted when I started the podcast, I did uh, do some research on pretty much every other sci-fi anthology show that was on the air before and after the twilight zone um <laughs> uh yeah so i i was aware of it so beyond is a solid introduction to the ep- uh, to the series as as far as i can tell um the introduction with host truman bradley is kind of fun like he um the kind of main shtick for science fiction theater is that the opening uh, the introduction with, with host Truman Bradley, uh, includes like some science demonstrations or experiments that have ties to the story that's going to be told that week. So in this episode, he shoots a TV with a gun to demonstrate that our senses can't capture everything. Like we, we don't physically see the bullet eject from the gun and make contact to the, uh, to the television. And it's a decent lead into the episode. It's intriguing enough to make us wonder, like, how is this going to come into play in the actual episode? And it's, I mean, it's fine. Like, it's, it's really pretty interesting, really, the way that it ties into the episode. And I really liked the story about the test pilot who bails when he travels far past the speed of sound and sees a UFO. Um, I really like the way that the story balanced science with fiction and fantasy, kind of like the Twilight Zone's first episode. Um, whereas everybody like this episode of science fiction theater is pretty well grounded in reality. Um, with a, just a tiny taste of, um, of supernatural or fantasy, um, which I, I, I was into, um, so the scientists study the UFO phenomenon and reach an interesting and logical conclusion. I won't give it away here, but the episode leaves 
on a note of uncertainty and fantasy that I was pretty into, um, despite having a pretty logical kind of explanation for what happened in the episode. It was a, it was a pretty cool self-contained story and an intriguing enough concept or an intriguing enough story to make me interested in watching more episodes of science fiction theater. And according to Martin Graham's Jr., Martin Graham's Jr.'s book, Science Fiction Theater, A History of the Television Program, critics were not too kind during, <laughs> toward this episode. Like they thought that there was too much science in it and then not enough fiction. Uh, the book quotes a, uh, quotes a review from Variety um, that essentially says that exact thing. That's there was too much science and not enough uh, fiction or or uh, fantasy in it. But I was into it. I really enjoyed it, and I thought that Truman Bradley had a pretty um, interesting presence on screen. Um, he was a pretty prolific uh, radio host, and he was in some films, I think, um, or maybe stage actor. But he was he's pretty good. He has this kind of I mean, no one's no one's going to be Rod Serling, um, and obviously this is before uh, the Twilight Zone. But like, Rod Serling kind of ruined hosts of sci-fi anthology shows for everyone. Um, but he does a pretty admirable job. Truman Bradley does, and it's interesting that they include those science experiments and stuff. Um, so yeah, so that's my brief review of Beyond. Um, if you guys like this, or at least for the next ten episodes, I'm going to be including these bonus reviews of science fiction theater. Like I said, this episode beyond is available on YouTube. Um, the YouTube clip is a, a brisk 18 minutes, so you can knock that out pretty quick. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes and let me know what you think of this. And let me know what you think of Mr. Dingle, the strong next time on the podcast. Um, uh, we're still going to be doing my bonus reviews of the new twilight zone, which is, um, this week's episode is called a tra- that's interesting because it's either a traveler or the traveler. Um, I'm 99% sure it's a traveler because that's what the uh, promo said in uh, the CBS All Access app. But I've seen people refer to it as the traveler, so we'll see here in like four hours when it gets posted um, on CBS All Access. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. That's the next episode that's going to be on the feed. Uh, next week for my, uh, regular episode of the Twilight, or for, of Anthology, um, I'm going to be reviewing season two, episode 20 of the Twilight Zone. Uh, the episode is titled Static. I'm very excited to talk about that. Um, unlike Mr. Dingle the Strong, it has a lot of, um, subtext to it and a lot of stuff that I kind of, I kind of latched onto, um, at a personal level, which I'm really eager to talk about. And then to, uh, continue my bonus reviews of science fiction theater next week, I'm going to be talking about episode two of season one called time is just a place, which I neglected to check if it is, if it is available on YouTube. I am so sorry, but if it is, I will put a link in the show notes, uh, so you can check it out. Um, yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like what you, what you heard, please uh, leave a rating and review on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And uh, yeah, also, if you want, you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And you're going to hear a quick two-minute rundown of every, all of the contact information and everything. So enjoy that. Um, and thank you guys so much for listening. See you next time. And now, here's a clip from a recent episode of The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast from ObsessiveViewer.com. I, uh, I recently read a book 
about um, the nerd. Fe- I, don't I know. know. I'm so sorry. Well, I listened to it in my car. <laughs> nice. Um, the future of artificial intelligence. Oh, nice. Um, it was really interesting, and they mm-hmm. talked about like um, the potential for a like a neural a neural network. Oh, where you could literally it's kind of like the Matrix. You could like plug in and like your self consciousness could like leave your body and an AI could like run your body while you're gone. Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to anthologypod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewer's Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.